todo el mundo. This is Stacy Lane Wilson, author and editor of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the films The Ventures, Stars on Guitars, and The Second Age of Aquarius. Rock and Roll Nightmares, the podcast, explores the dark and mysterious and sometimes funny side of music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. But that's just a jumping off point. Think of it as a 45 record you bought for the hit you know and then going to the B-side and discovering something really cool and unexpected. On this lo-fi podcast for hi-fi people, I will be interviewing, sometimes by myself, sometimes with a co-host, musicians, authors, artists, and filmmakers. Enjoy! Today's guest is a multi-talented artist, Nina Helene Hurton, an animator and film editor who creates multi-layered dark pop music as, let me see if I get this right, Dresness, which is not how it's spelled, but it's censored backwards. Um, so I met Nina when we started working together on my music documentary, Stars on Guitars, and our most recent project is the sci-fi rock and roll comedy, Second Age of Aquarius. Welcome, Nina. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, let's dive right into the film editing aspect of your life, which there are many, many aspects, but uh, the film editing is how I know you best. Um, what are some of the different challenges and rewards when it comes to editing a music documentary versus a narrative film, but that's also music-centric? Well, uh, I mean, every, no matter what I'm editing, it always kind of comes down to the story. What is the story? It's going to tell and then the my next most important thing is always is it fun to watch so the no matter what i'm editing it doesn't matter what genre it is um or what kind of project it is music video concert um music documentary dramatic documentary <laughs> you know current events whatever it's the point for me of really any multimedia is entertainment um and there's some self-expression self sprinkled in there too. I mean, the doing a, a documentary, of course, in particular, is always more complicated than something that is um, scripted or narrative, um, as you say. So mostly because in a documentary, you very rarely have a script to follow. You know, it's a, it, sometimes it's a, 
a mishmash of talking heads and you never really know what the interviewer interviewee is going to say ahead of time so you know you're you spend a lot of time a lot more time watching for story versus performance say um so the way that i would approach it is is pretty different um but uh but it's a big conversation <laughs> well i want to get into the music now because um you know we are rock and roll nightmares here Indeed. so as you know I, I was lucky enough to work with ogre on the first film that i ever directed and we're both fans of how he incorporates theatricality and darkness into his music. So I'm wondering how bands like Skinny Puppy and other industrial music artists from the 80s and 90s inform your own contemporary dark pop sound. That's probably my, one of my biggest influences is industrial music, um, in particular from the 80s and 90s, because that's mostly what I was listening to back then. But mm -hmm. um, Skinny Puppy is definitely up there as, as probably one of my favorites, um, and I really like Ogre's solo work, solo work too, very much. Um, but uh, it's it's as far as influencing my sound, it's kind of more of the approach um, and the aesthetic to writing music than maybe anything else because it's not generally guitar driven music. It's a lot of it is electronic um, or synth driven music. Um, there are some industrial bands that are just a bunch of guys with keyboards, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's like no drummer or anything. <laughs> so, um, and I play a couple of instruments well enough to write, but I'm not really a performer with instruments. I would say I'm, I'm a well-trained singer and I'm a great singer performance-wise, I think. I <laughs> agree. I don't horn too much, but, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I can dabble around in instruments, but it, in some ways it, it scratches the same itch as editing because um, the way that an industrial musician might approach songwriting is listening for samples um, and then kind of putting pieces together or getting a texture from an instrument, you know, that's not necessarily playing that instrument as intended. <laughs> um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so so you kind of, they approach it more as a sound design atmospheric world. Um, and that's one thing that really has always drawn me to industrial music over other kinds of music, um, because it is kind of less about the music and it's more about the world, you know? Um, you're getting pulled into this dark, kind of noisy, gritty, a lot of times not very musical sound. It is. And, I mean, it is a yeah. soundscape that, that you can definitely close your eyes and kind of make up your own story to. It's very imaginative. But but your album, uh, Three Lives, it, it does have, your songs do have melody to them. Oh, yeah. Well, for me as an artist, I'm not a non-melodic artist. Um, however, you'd, you'd, if you were to go through like my most listened on iTunes, for example, you'd probably be like, wait, where's the music? This is all noise. <laughs> but I also have an understanding that for, for, I would, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I would think that most people, mainstream people, not just um, like people that, that would be heavy music listeners in the world um, mm -hmm. for, most genres that are more popular, I would say, than, or more mainstream than industrial, would, um, I'd say that the story in it for them is is the melody, and 
as a musician, you do have to have a good hook, even if it is avant-garde, non-melodic noise music. <laughs> you still have to be able to hook your audience in. Um, so, and I mean, I don't just listen to industrial music. I listen to probably everything, but, um, but the storytelling, yeah, is for me in the, in the melody, that's how you get hooked in. Where does it go next? You know, I'm a big lyrics person. I'm kind of surprised sometimes when I'm talking about music with friends and they don't really know what the lyrics say. I mean, maybe that's why Bob Dylan is one of my all-time favorite artists, um, because the lyrics tell such a great story. Where do you draw your own inspiration from? Do you get it through your own life or past experiences or future hopes? I mean, what? tell me a little bit about what inspired Three Lives and what is the significance of that title? Well, the album is called Three Lives because um, it's kind of representing my three lives in an abstract way. <laughs> the three lives that I have had so far is kind of how I, I say it, and it's geographical. So I grew up in San Francisco. I wasn't born there, but I grew up there. Um, and then I moved to Canada, where I lived for a decade. Um, and I moved there for college, but I ended up staying there, getting married, having a kid, whole nine yards. Um, so that was life number two. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and within there, I did a stint in Germany as well for half a year. But, um, but that kind of outside the U.S. was my second life. And then my third life is here in L.A., where it's just taken a whole new turn, you know. Um, and yeah, so that's that's the significance of the three lives. And then to answer your first question, with the lyrically at least, influences come from mostly my own feelings. Um, but I throw a lot of politics in there too, which <laughs> to kind of go to your point of, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I listen to a lot of lyrics and to me, that's part of the whole experience, right? It's the lyrics and the mm -hmm. melody and the music and everything. Um, but yeah, in my experience, as you say, for most people, they're hooking on to the music, not so much the words. And so it's always interesting to me that, um, people say, oh, I really like this song. And I'm like, really? I, that song is saying something that you... <laughs> <laughs> that you have very clearly said you don't agree with. It's like, all right, I don't know if they're what they're listening to exactly. It's definitely not the lyrics, but um. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna let the our listeners listen to one of your songs right now. So let's put that on. Shepherd leans prior to the sunset Leading all his sheep with a crooked, crooked hand Knowing full well that they'll follow him and know that he demands Shepherds on the hill, fat pockets full of wool Throw it out, shear it off, until they get their fill Left out in the cold and keeping nothing that you make Never giving back, they just take and take and take their Breaking it in Sharpen to the skies When the shepherd wants to tell you all his pretty little lies Sorting all the colors to the left, to the right A few steps out of line, and now you'll see the fight Dogs at the back, barking, nipping at the heel Come along, come along, they'll tell you what to think and feel In the name of protection from the wolf beyond the rock Through the forest, through the dark, stay deep within the flock there. 
The song you just heard was Shepherds, and that is on the Three Lives album. Um, unlike some artists who have a an army of producers, I know that you like to be in total control of your sound, and it really is a DIY world now for artists from conception to market. Um, do you feel that it's better that way, or does having to focus on the minutia sometimes take away from the creative aspect? I... <laughs> I come off like I want to be in total control of my sound, but I actually, I don't. <laughs> I, I do everything kind of out of necessity by myself, you know? Um, it's like that with my video work too, where if, if I had some financing happening, then I would totally be on board with having an army of producers <laughs> yeah. to, to help me. But um, it's, uh, yeah, out of, out of necessity and, um, the budget mostly it's it's been mostly me kind of doing everything and i mean i i do have very specific directions where i want to go you know so i i feel like if i had an army of producers i'd be able to guide them towards where what i wanted but i'm not so much of a control freak that like i want to be doing everything <laughs> i just kind of do it because i have to now and do you I mean, have are you the type of person though that maps out your career in advance or do you kind of go with the flow? I know that, you know, you can't control what's going to happen, but do you hope to do that? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, the, the goal is always to kind of get the team bigger, you know? Um, one thing I like about film and why I pursued that as my, my main career, my day job, we'll say, is that um, it's a collaborative art and you, it really shouldn't be done in a vacuum. And I, I really don't think it should be done as a one man band. Um, and I kind of feel that way about music too, even though there are some incredibly talented people out there I'm, in both worlds that can do everything um, and not necessarily out of necessity like myself, mm -hmm. but, um, but just because that's what they're into and, and they're really passionate about it. And, and I have tremendous respect for those people, but I do think there is a balance, you know, the whole, especially as an editor, I have to kind of be that third eye um, for the creative heads that maybe get too close to their product. And I feel like this is especially true in music and any artist who isn't showing their art to people for some feedback, um, trusted people, not just willy nilly everybody, but you know, you got to get your core group of creative people and be like, oh, I'm so close to this being done. As an artist, you can get too close to your art very, very quickly. And then you can start to lose track of how it's going to be seen by other people. And maybe that's not important for your art, but I don't know, there, there has to be a balance because otherwise if, if the viewers that are watching or listening don't understand it, um, or aren't getting your message or maybe, or twisting your message, then that is potentially a problem. So, so being that third eye, um, being that, that objective outside opinion, as an editor, I mean, I feel like it's made every movie I've worked on better. That's, that's kind of my purpose, right? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've seen some director's cuts from extremely talented, lauded directors, but they really needed that editor <laughs> to rein them in. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it kills me when I see something that just has pacing that's all over the place. And then I notice that there's no editor on it or it was, you know, edited by somebody, by the director or whatever, and it's, mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there comes a there comes a point where you have to decide: Am I doing this for my ego, or am I doing this out of necessity, <laughs> or am I doing it? You know, wh why am I doing the this? 
Um, and your husband, he's also a musician. Now he's more, I think, industrial probably than you are. How would you describe his music? And do the two of you collaborate or do you keep your projects separate? Do you give each other feedback? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, my husband's project is called Model M and um, it is very, very heavy industrial music. Yes. <laughs> very heavy, <laughs> upbeat industrial music um, compared to my music, which maybe has a little bit more pop flavor in it um, with, and some other things in there too, like maybe post-punk, but um, yeah, his stuff is, is primarily sample based. And though he does have guitars in it as well, he's really drawn inspiration from projects like the Prodigy and KMFDM. So that's the more kind of high energy stuff that, that he's into. So, and as far as us collaborating, we, I mean, I do pro probably all of his, his image. <laughs> so I've made all his music videos. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, it's great to have those talents within the family. Well, in some ways it's good because he's, he's been a little bit of a, mu a video muse for me as well. Um, because, you know, I'll be listening to a track that that's one, one thing that is handy for both of us is that even if I'm not necessarily playing on a track, which I have played on many of his tracks, whenever he's getting close to something new or a new idea, he'll usually pull me over to his office and then we'll, he'll say, Hey, can you listen to my song? Tell me what you think. Um, so he's, you know, I'm acting kind of as the, the, that objective eye for him or ear, but it's, yeah. I mean, as far as us working together, we, we, for the most part, keep our music separate. Most of my involvement in, is the is the image and the promotion and the graphics and that sort of thing, the videos. Before I let you go, uh, this is the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast, so I have to ask you, what is your rock and roll nightmare? Okay, well, as a singer, you get really into it sometimes, and once in a while you'll lose track of your, your technical uh, control as you're getting into it. You know, like if you're on stage and you're listening to yourself through a monitor, but you can't really hear yourself. You end up pushing a little bit too loud um, with your voice. And that's like, I, I, I hate it when this happens, but you know, your voice cracks when you push it too hard, you know, and it just, you get a little frog in your throat for a minute. That's like my worst nightmare is to be <laughs> on like my dream festival tour performance on like a huge stadium, you know, some like South by Southwest, let's say, and just be out there with like a million people and then have the world's worst voice crack. <laughs> that's probably my, that's probably my rock and roll nightmare. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so where can uh, people find you online and where can they listen to and download three lives? The easiest place to find me to listen to is on Spotify or Bandcamp. Um, but, uh, you can find links to pretty much all your favorite places on uh, my official website, which is derosnest.com, D-E-R-O-S-N-E-C.com. Thanks, Nina. I really appreciate having you on the show and chatting with you, and I look forward to hearing what you do next. All right, thanks. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from the nonfiction edition, and the chapter is Only the Good Die Young. The surgical registrar, John Bannister, commented that Jimi Hendrix couldn't possibly have been alive when his girlfriend called for an ambulance. He was cold and he was blue. He had all the parameters of someone who had been dead for some time. We worked on him for about a half an hour without any response at all. Bannister pronounced Hendrix dead at 12.45 p.m. on Friday, September 18, 1970. 
On admission, he was obviously dead. He had no pulse, no heartbeat, and the attempt to resuscitate him was merely a formality, he said. It was officially concluded that Hendricks had aspirated his vomit and died of asphyxia while intoxicated with barbiturates. In Starting at Zero, his own story, Hendricks is quoted as saying, very shortly before his death, The moment I feel that I don't have anything more to give musically, that's when I won't be found on this planet. I'm not sure if I will live to be 28 years old, but then again, so many beautiful things have happened to me in the last three years. Includes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacy Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B O O K S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. <laughs>